Romans 6, 1, 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase by no means? We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we knew that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, can we self-study sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus? Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that it obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness for sin shall no longer be your master, because you're not under the law, but under grace. Thank you. <clears throat> All right. Thank you, Julia, for reading for us, Asher for praying, Lena and Faye for announcements, and all of the other kids that served in ways that I just don't remember right now, but thank you. All right, let me pray. Father, we thank you so much that we have this uh, time to be able to uh, look at your word together, <clears throat> help us uh, young and old uh, to see how you're calling us to be instruments you use uh, to make this world look uh, more like your kingdom in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, have you ever heard the phrase, if uh, you give them an inch, they'll take a mile? Kids, you know that phrase? So. Uh, if you don't know that phrase, let me give you an example of how this works. So let's say that you go to your parents and you say, hey, mom and dad, can I watch, pick your favorite show? I, I hear that Bluey is very popular these days. I actually like Bluey. Um, if you don't know Bluey, for those of you who like don't have kids, go look it up. You will be delighted. 
Um, but, but just for the sake of argument, you see, you go to your parents and you say, hey, I want to watch a bluey. But then one bluey becomes two blueys. And then two blueys becomes three. And then next thing you know, you know, you've spent the morning watching cartoons. And it's not even Saturday morning. Uh, so, so that's an example of, so you give somebody an inch and they take a mile. Well, Paul, in the passage that we're looking at today, he starts off and he's anticipating that somebody might in the wrong way think, oh, God has given us an inch, so therefore we can take a mile. Uh, remember in last week's passage, we looked at uh, the abundant provision of God's grace, his overflowing grace. And so Paul starts thinking to himself, you know what, somebody might hear that and think, well, sh- gosh, if God forgives me of all my sin, then I can just do whatever I want because after all, he's going to forgive me. And if God, if everybody thinks God's really grace, amazing because he's so forgiving, well, if I give him lots of opportunities to forgive me, it's just going to show how really great he is. Uh, And so Paul says in Romans 6.1, what then shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase by no means? In other words, Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, it doesn't work that way. You can't just do whatever you want. Uh, when you come to faith in Jesus, this huge change happens in the way that you live your life. That's, that's the way that this good news of what, who Jesus is and what he has done, that's the way that this good news works. Uh, but what Paul does is kind of interesting because what I want you to do is I want you to like, let's take that saying, if you give him an inch and you take him on, let's just tweak it a little bit. Because I think what Paul is saying here is, okay, if if I give you an inch and you take a mile from the regards of sin, then the answer is absolutely not. However, uh, I think what Paul is inviting us to say is that God has given us way more than an inch. Uh, and he actually wants us to take, give, uh, way more than a mile. So what is it that God has given us? According to this passage, there's two things that God has given us. He has made us dead to sin and alive in Jesus. And what is it he wants us to give? He wants us to be instruments of righteousness. We're going to talk about what that looks like, okay? So first of all, we're going to look at what it is that he has given us. We're dead to sin. We're alive in Jesus. And then what is it that he's asking of us uh, to be instruments of righteousness? All right, so Paul begins talking about being dead to sin. What on earth is sin? Right? It's important for us to be able to define this term because the reality is that that's a word that can get thrown around a lot, and we may not necessarily know what it means. Sin is the word that Christianity uses to explain everything that is wrong in us, right? You know, right? You, you, you say, you know, oh, this so-and-so should not do this kind of thing, and yet we do it, right? These people who cut you off when you're driving, and then you turn around and you cut somebody off, Right? a friend in school who's not nice to you, and then you turn around and you're not nice to somebody else, right? So sin is what describes that we don't live up to our own standard of goodness, let alone God's standard of goodness. But sin also describes everything that is wrong with our world, right? Think of of the news and all the things that you see on the news just just this week, right? The, The shooting in Maine, the war in Israel, the war in Ukraine, those are just like the three top things on the top of my news feed this week. Uh, and there's certainly many, many more. So sin is what describes everything that's wrong with us and everything that's wrong with the world. And what Paul is saying here is that, hey, when you put your faith in Jesus, your relationship to sin has changed. 
It doesn't mean that we still don't have temptation. It doesn't mean that we don't still sin. But our relationship to sin is that now we are dead to sin. Our relationship to sin has changed. Uh, before, if you remember two weeks ago when we were looking at Ephesians 2, there Paul talked about the fact that we were, past tense, were dead in sin, but now he's saying you are dead to sin. That Two little letters, dead in sin versus dead to sin, two little letters, but a world of difference. Uh, so what does it look like to be dead to sin? Well, this past week I was uh, reading uh, some books and uh, preparing for my sermon, and somebody told this really uh, uh, kind of clever story. So evidently there's an entomologist. Y'all know what an entomologist is? Entomologist, anyone? Somebody who studies bugs. Good job. All right, so an entomologist uh, and some researchers, some researchers who are entomologists discovered that ants give off this uh, scent, and this scent allows them to communicate with each other. So a little ant, you know, is doing his, his or her little ant thing, and they find food. And so they give off this scent that says, it's dinner time, right? Let's go get food. And he, and he or she goes back to their ant colony. They tell everybody, hey, I found food through this scent. And then everybody follows them in order to go get food. They also can give a scent that says, hey, there's danger. Uh, be careful. And they can give a scent that says, I'm dying or I'm dead. So the scientists decided to try an experiment. What would happen, what happens when an ant is not dead, not dying, uh, perfectly healthy, but they're giving off the scent that they're dead. So they sprayed a little scent on this one particular ant that says, I'm dying. And so what happens is that the ants, thinking, oh, my, this ant is dying, so they take the ant and they move it out of the colony. They pick it up and they take it out of the colony. The, con the ant's like, what are, you, what are you doing? Goes back into the colony. The ants take it out again. And this went back and forth, back and forth. The ants, the second that they thought this little ant is dying, this ant is dying, they were like, out of here. You can't be in the colony with us. Interesting illustration, right? That's the kind of attitude that Paul is inviting us to have towards sin. Sin is dead to us. And so what we're being invited, what we're being asked to do is like, hey, do whatever it takes to take that sin and take it out of the colony. That's the first thing he says. The second thing that he says is that you are alive in Jesus. Verse 4, he says, we therefore, uh, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, uh, that just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. For if we have uh, been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So what's happening here is not that Paul is not saying, oh, I got an idea. Let me look for a good illustration. Oh, baptism would be a good illustration. Let me use baptism as an illustration. That's not what he's doing here. What he's doing here is he is actually giving us significant insight into what baptism is and what baptism does. Uh, baptism is a sign that tells us uh, what it is that Jesus has done for us. So again, we're trying to think, okay, kids, how do I help you understand this? So now I want you to imagine that uh, you have a ticket to go to your favorite theme park, Disneyland, Disneyland, right? Uh, Universal Studios, Legoland, doesn't matter. Do you have your favorite, your ticket, you're gonna go to your favorite theme park. Now, you have this ticket, 
Let's imagine for a second it's an actual physical. You have this ticket. You're holding this ticket. Uh, it doesn't do you any good to sit at home with that ticket, right? You actually, like, have to use the ticket. You've got to go to the park. You've got to give them the ticket. So as long as you have the ticket and you haven't gone, that ticket is a promise of what awaits you when you have gone to the theme park. But unless you use it, it's just a ticket. Uh, now, let's say you take the ticket, you go, you have a great time, you have pictures, you have all these souvenirs that you bought, and then you come back, you're on the other side of having gone to Disneyland, Universal Studios, wherever it is, and you still have the ticket. Now the ticket is a symbol or a sign of the experience you had. It's not pointing ahead to possibly going to the theme park. It's going back and say, hey, remember, this is the day that you went to the theme park. This is what you experienced in the theme park. Well, baptism is, is a little bit like that in this. When you're baptized as a child, baptism is a sign pointing ahead saying, hey, this is what awaits you when you take the step of faith. It's not you can have the ticket, but the ticket, unless you actually go to the park, it's not going to let you in right? Faith, or excuse me, baptism says, hey, these are the promises that are being given to you because you're a part of God's covenant family, but you have to have faith. You have to take the, the, uh, the choice of having faith in Jesus Christ in order to be able to have that work. Once you have faith in Jesus, once you've been to the theme park, once you have faith in Jesus, right, then it looks back. Baptism in that respect is saying back and saying, hey, this is what has happened to you. And when you think of baptism from that perspective, when you look at baptism from the, from the I already have faith in Jesus Christ and I'm looking back on my baptism, whether my baptism was as a child or my baptism was as a believer when I was older, that baptism is saying you are united to Jesus' death and resurrection. That spiritually, that sign is saying that spiritually, Jesus' death and burial is your death and burial to sin. And Jesus' resurrection is your resurrection. It's the promise of your resurrection to new life. Uh, amen. And so what happens is that Paul is saying, like, look, remember your baptism. Because your baptism is a sign that says, uh, promises you before you have faith of what will happen and after you have faith of what God has done that you are alive in Jesus. All right. So now, um, remember what we said, that uh, Paul here, you've, you've heard it said, if you give them an inch, they will take them out. But Paul is saying God has given you way more than an inch, and what he's asking of you is way more than a mile. So what is it that he's asking you? He's, he's inviting us to be instruments of righteousness. Now, what is an instrument? An instrument is a tool that is used for a particular purpose. So, for example, a musical instrument is a tool that's used for what? Making music. Come on. All right. Uh, surgical tools are tools that are used for? For surgery, right? Uh, navigational tools are, excuse me, navigational instruments are tools that are used for? navigation. I was actually like, I was like, who can I email? Because I know that there are other types of, you know, that word instrument is not a word that's used very often, but, but, you know, musical instruments, surgical instruments, navigational instruments, I'm sure there are others. 
I don't know what they are. Remind, tell me later. Um, what is an instrument of righteousness? It's a tool that God uses in order to display his righteousness. So what Paul is saying is this. He's saying that those who have trusted in Jesus are instruments of righteousness. Those who have trusted in Jesus, those who have uh, died to sin and are alive in Jesus are now instruments that he uses in order to display his righteousness. So follow the logic, right? Hey, you, uh, God's grace is overflowing and abundant. You might be tempted to think that therefore, oh, well then if God will forgive me for whatever I'll do, then I'll just keep on living my life how I want because that's just going to show how amazing God is because he's going to forgive me all the time. And Paul says, no, 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 you can't take an inch. You can't be given an inch and take a mile. You can't do that. That's not by no means, he says. Uh, remember what God has given you. God has given you way more than an inch. He's given, he's, you're dead to sin. You're alive in Jesus. Now, because he's given you so much more, he's actually asking something of you. He's asking you to be used by him as an instrument of righteousness. He wants you to be uh, what you were created to be. Remember we talked in this series, what we're doing in this series is we're exploring the story of the Bible and how the Bible is woven together in order to tell us one overarching story. Uh, I think here Paul is actually tapping back into the creation story. Uh, and how do I think he's doing that? So remember, what were we created to be? We were created to be images of God. And we said that to be an image of God means that you are a two-way mirror. That, that we are created to reflect God's uh, glory to God, right? The way that we live our lives uh, reflects God and that God is good and that he is great and that he is perfect. But it also, we reflect God out into the world, right? So we reflect glory up to God and we reflect the glory of God out into the world. To be a, an instrument of righteousness, right, is to tap back into that being an image bearer it's a way of our saying like, hey, I'm going to live as a person who has died to sin and is alive in Jesus. And by doing that, I'm going to show God's grace, his abundant, overflowing grace up to him. God, you're amazing. You've forgiven me for my sin. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be your child. But then out into the world, God is amazing. And, and I'm going to follow him. I'm going to talk about him. I'm going to share who he is. All right, so uh, kids, how, what does it look like for you all to be instruments of righteousness? Uh, there are lots of ways that we could talk about this, but I want to focus in on one. You, you've heard, if you've been in the services, you've heard me talk several times about the, 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 uh, our vocation, our work. Uh, and so for you, and this, this will be true of some of us as adults as well who are still in school, but uh, for you as kids in particular, right, whether you're, you're in nursery school or you're in high school, uh, one of the primary things that God calls you to in life right now is to be a student. Uh, and so whether your classroom is in the home or online or you go somewhere else to be in school, uh, whether your teacher is your mom or your dad, 
or another person whom you uh, may not even be related to at all, all right? Uh, to be an instrument of righteousness in that setting of school is for you to, to say, hey, this is what it looks like to, to be a Jesus follower in the school, right? So it means that you're kind uh, to other people. It means you're respectful to other people. It means that you serve those around you. Uh, it means all kinds of different ways that you are intentionally trying to say, hey, how would Jesus have me live as someone who follows him in the context of school. So the question for you in your bulletin, if you, if you grabbed a bulletin at the beginning of the service, uh, the question for you to talk about with your parents is like, hey, what does it look like for you? And maybe it's not school, maybe it's somewhere else, but the question for you to think about with your parents is like, what does it look like for you to be a tool that God uses in order to show those around you how good and amazing and righteous he is? Now what about for all of us, what about for us as a church? What does it look like for us to be instruments of righteousness? Uh, well, so actually, uh, I think we've kind of talked about some of this already, right? We, we talked about uh, care communities. We talked about uh, volunteering and giving of our time at Thanksgiving, uh, serving uh, our neighbors, right? Those are very embodied things. Uh, to be a part of a care community is not just writing a check, right? It's physically showing up for somebody else in order to serve them and care for them. Uh, we talked, I didn't, we didn't talk about this but we, uh, the today, but we've talked in the past, in the coming weeks, we've got uh, a cultural conversation on uh, sexuality. Is there anything more embodied than our sexuality, right? Uh, and, and so what does it look like to be an instrument of righteousness to follow God's design for who we are created as men and women and how we think and treat sex. Uh, but I want to venture down a, a new road for us. So I mentioned this earlier uh, when we were talking about the, uh, the building thing. Uh, and and um, how is it, what, what, are, what are ways that we can be embodied in how we follow Jesus? Uh, and, and the interesting thing, I almost missed this. I was uh, looking at this, I was hunting something down and I stumbled onto a comment made by this pastor from the 1600s uh, where he really emphasized the fact that Paul here, uh, he says that, that you are to be an instrument with every part of who you are, but what's really interesting is that the thing he particularly focuses in on is our physical body. Uh, and, and I don't know about you, but like when I think about following Jesus, my physical body is not the first thing that I think of. I think about my mind, right? For many of us, especially if we, if, uh, if, you know, if our training has been in like knowledge worker type of stuff, right? Our faith really happens here, 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 right? Uh, it doesn't happen here or with our feet, right? It doesn't happen with our embodied self, uh, so interestingly, a few weeks ago, uh, Carlos Gomez and I have been meeting for a while now, uh, and a few weeks ago, we ventured into the world of fasting. I bet none of you were thinking I was going to mention fasting. Uh, fasting is the practice where we go without food for a set period of time in order to get in touch with our hunger for God. Uh, it is our physical bodies being offered to Jesus 
so that we can grow in holiness, amplify our prayers, and stand with the poor. So Carlos and I have been meeting, and I don't remember if it was Carlos or I. One of us was like, hey, let's, let's, let's explore fasting together. And so what's happened is that over the last almost month now, I think, uh, we, we each have been setting aside one day a week to fast. Uh, and can I tell you, I hate that day. I wake up, I'm like, oh man, I really just want it. It's just an egg. An egg, it's not that much. Um, but there have, been, there have been two days in particular where, where I really sensed uh, over the last month, two days in particular where I, like, I knew Holy Spirit was telling me, you have to fast today. Um, and, and so if you've never fasted, right, you're, you, what happens when you miss a meal, right? Your, your stomach starts to tell you, hey, you missed something here. Yeah, give me some food. Uh, so then you miss a second meal, and your stomach starts to get a little, you know, a little angry with you. Um, and, and so, uh, but here's the thing. Like, both, uh, I think pretty much every time I fasted over the last month, but certainly on those particular days, the passage that, that I kept coming back to, and I think Holy Spirit was just like putting this passage back on my mind again and again and again, uh, was my strength is made perfect in weakness. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working on something and the hunger comes in and, and the temptation, right, is to satiate the hunger. It's, to, it's I got to put something in my stomach. Uh, and, and so stopping there and being like, Jesus, I'm hungry. Help me right now to take that hunger and direct it towards you. Help my hunger for you to outpace my need to go to black market and get a croissant. Can I just be honest? That's my temptation. I'm just being honest. They got good croissants. That jalapeno one's really, really good. Um, and so as I've been thinking about the season that we're in, you know, we've talked about wanting to be really intentional in prayer uh, as a church during this season. Uh, and, and I will speak for myself. I feel like the Lord is calling, has called me, and I think I can speak for Carlos in this too, uh, to, in a sense, like to offer our bodies, our, our physical bodies up to him in a way that um, has not been a regular pattern of my, of my walk with Jesus uh, in recent years. Uh, when I was in high school and college, I, fasting was much more a part of my spiritual practices and really hasn't been very much since I was in college. Um, and, and at church, I think, I think that uh, Jesus is calling us as a body into not just prayer, you guys have done that well, but I think he's calling us into fasting as well. Uh, I, I think that um, I'm not saying that if we pray and fast enough that God will finally wake up from his stupor and say, oh, wait a minute, Harbor needs a building? Oh, I missed that one. I don't think that at all. But I've said to you several times, and I really believe this, um, it's the, the, the most important thing is not the building. The most important thing is our growth and godliness. Uh, it is how we are going to respond collectively and individually 
to what Jesus is doing in us right now. And so I don't have this all figured out yet. I'm not going to roll out a, a plan or anything like that because literally this was like the last two days where, where it just kind of coalesced. It started with a staff meeting and then it just kind of coalesced for me really yesterday. Um, so, you know, two, more information forthcoming. Um, but I felt really compelled today when we're particularly talking about like being instruments of righteousness as, as people with bodies, not just as heads on sticks, uh, but as embodied people to say that Jesus, I think, is calling us to follow him in that. And I don't know what he's going to do with it, but he's been really, really good to us up until now. Uh, so I'm just expecting more of the same. That's not going to mean it's going to be easy, but he's been good in the midst of hard stuff. He's been good. Um, all right, so you have heard it said, if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. But I say to you, God has given you way more than an inch. Uh, and so he's asking you to join him in the long road of obedience, to be tools of righteousness, instruments he uses uh, to show everybody how really awesome he is. All right, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for this time that you've given us to, to reflect on this passage. Thank you for our kids. Uh, and that they are just as much a part of this as those of us who are adults are. Uh, gracious God, we ask that you would please help us um, as we seek to follow you, as we seek to love you and honor you. In Jesus' name we pray.